Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Toby. And this is the Whispering Woods podcast. This episode is all about... Alistair Crowley. It is. The occultist. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay, well, there's lots to learn. Lots to learn. The whole episode's about him. First of all, we'll give a shout out to our newest patron. Jen. Yes, thanks so much, Jen, for supporting the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the whispering woods. Right. Shall we get straight into it? Yes, we should. <laughs> so I've got an introduction piece. Um, I've got, I've kind of split it up into, in three sections. So we've got an introduction piece about Alistair Crowley and his sort of early life and who he is. Then I'm going to talk about a ritual. And then the third and final part is about him doing this ritual and then kind of about his later years. So first, and um, I do want to say when I was writing this all up, I actually was quite freaked out by it. And that hasn't actually happened for a long time. Also, I'm not sure how suitable this is for younger kids. It might just be a bit too complex. It does mention sex and other bits and bobs, nothing graphic. Um, nothing explicit it's more about the understanding um so you may want to take a listen first if you listen with young children right are you ready for the introduction piece yes i am in this episode we explore the life and legacy of one of the most controversial and influential figures in the history of occultism a man who called himself the Beast 666 and the Great Beast, a man who claimed to be the prophet of a new religion and the master of magic, a man who was revered by some and reviled by others, a man who was known as Alistair Crowley. Crowley was born Edward Alexander Crowley on October the 12th, 1875 in Royal Leamington Spa, England. 
to a wealthy and devout Christian family. His father, Edward Crowley, was a preacher and a leader of the Plymouth Brethren, a strict and conservative sect of Christianity that rejected the authority of the Church of England and believed in the imminent return of Christ. His mother, Emily Bertha Bishop, was a devout follower of her husband's faith and a strict disciplinarian. She often called her son the Beast when he misbehaved, a nickname that he would later embrace and use to his advantage. Crowley was a precocious and rebellious child who showed an early interest in literature, poetry, chess and mountaineering. He also developed a fascination with the occult, which he saw as a way of rebelling against his parents' religion and exploring the hidden mysteries of life. He read books on alchemy, astrology and magic and experimented with rituals and spells. He also indulged in sexual activities that were considered taboo and sinful by society, such as bisexuality, prostitution and sadomasochism. He contracted gonorrhea at the age of 15, which would plague him for the rest of his life. Crowley's rebellion intensified after the death of his father from tongue cancer in 1887, when he was 11 years old. He blamed his father's death on his faith and rejected Christianity altogether. He also inherited a large fortune from his father, which gave him the freedom and means to pursue his own interests and desires. He attended several prestigious schools, such as Malvern College, Tonbridge School and Eastbourne College, but he was expelled or left them all due to his unruly behaviour and poor academic performance. He finally enrolled at Trinity College, Cambridge in 1895, where he studied philosophy and literature, but he never graduated. He spent most of his time at Cambridge playing chess, writing poetry, climbing mountains and exploring his sexuality. He also changed his name from Edward to Alistair, which he believed was more suited to his personality and destiny. It was at Cambridge that Crowley had his first mystical experience, which he attributed to his first homosexual encounter. He felt a surge of energy and ecstasy that transcended his physical senses and connected him to a higher reality. He described this experience as the awakening of his true will, the innermost essence and purpose of his being which he believed was the key to achieving happiness and enlightenment. He also believed that his true will was aligned with the cosmic will of the universe, which he called the great work, the ultimate goal of all magicians and mystics. Crowley's quest for the great work led him to join the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, a secret society of occultists that practiced ceremonial magic and studied the ancient wisdom of the Kabbalah, the Tarot, and the Egyptian mysteries. He was initiated into the order in 1898, under the guidance of Samuel Liddell MacGregor Mathers, the chief of the order 
and a renowned magician. Crowley quickly rose through the ranks of the Order, impressing and infuriating his fellow members with his talent and arrogance. He also clashed with Mavers, who he accused of being a fraud and a tyrant. He eventually broke away from the Order and formed his own group, the AA, or Argentium Astrum, the Silver Star, which he claimed was the true successor of the Golden Dawn and the guardian of the secrets of the Great Works. Crowley's search for the Great Work also took him to various parts of the world, where he sought to learn from different traditions and cultures. He travelled to Mexico, India, China, Tibet, Egypt, Algeria and other places, where he studied and practised Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Islam and other religions. He also attempted to climb some of the highest and most dangerous mountains in the world, such as K2, where he faced death and disaster. He claimed that his travels and adventures were part of his magical training and experiments, which he recorded in his diaries and books. He lived a life of wonder and symbolism. He believed that he was the reincarnation of Pope Alexander VI, Edward Kelly and Alphaus Levi, among others. He also identified with Pan, Merlin and other mythical and literary figures. He saw his life as a grand, magical experiment where he tested the limits of his will and his power. He used astrology, tarot and the I Ching among other forms of divination, to guide his choices and actions. He devised his own numerology system based on the Hebrew alphabet and the Kabbalah to reveal the hidden meanings of words and events. He felt that he was following a cosmic destiny and was the chosen agent of the secret masters of the world. He was also full of paradoxes and contradictions, He taught freedom and individuality, but also demanded obedience and loyalty from his followers. He promoted love and compassion, but also practiced cruelty and manipulation. He professed to be enlightened, but also succumbed to his darkest impulses. He tried to transcend the duality of good and evil, but also created a moral code based on his likes and dislikes. He aimed to be a god, but also acknowledged his faults and failures. He was, in his own words, the master of paradox. He was involved in the secret service during World War I and II, and used his occult knowledge and skills to deceive and confuse the enemy. He experimented with drugs and tried to find the elixir of life, the philosopher's stone and the key to immortality. He craved the mysteries of the cosmos and the hidden forces that ruled the world. He was also a man of pride and ambition who thought he was destined to be a god among men. He had studied various kinds of magic and mysticism with the teachings of the existing orders and traditions. He wanted to perform the ultimate ritual the one that would give him the knowledge and conversation of his holy guardian angel. A state of enlightenment, he wanted to perform the Abramelin ritual, a ritual that has fascinated and challenged many occultists, 
as it's promised to achieve the highest aim of magic, the contact with one's own holy guardian angel, a divine being that could guide and enlighten the magician. The ritual also required the magician to subdue the twelve kings and dukes of hell, who represented the hurdles and snares that prevented the magician from reaching spiritual perfection. I think the main thing to understand is that back in the days of Alistair Crowley, those things that he was doing, a lot of them would have been actually illegal. Like to have a relationship with another man, that was illegal. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of, a lot of it maybe won't have the same kind of shock factor as it did then. Some of it will have, you know. But today we're kind of, everything's normalised, isn't it? Whatever anybody does. No matter how strange, obviously there are yeah. certain subjects that it's are still people to do. that identify as cats and that now. Yeah, yeah, meow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's, they actually speak that language as well. Right. They? Let's go walk, walking around meowing at people. <laughs> Fair like, enough. <laughs> it's a bit odd. Well, yeah, but each to their own, really, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure that um... if you're not if you're not bothering anybody or doing anything, knock yourself out. Exactly, and that is my philosophy on life. Yeah. Do do I mean, you it, honestly, it depends what you're doing though, because if you're walking around on all your fours in town centres, on it, I mean, that's that's just not normal, is it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know? I'm so wrapped up in my own little world, in my little magical world, I probably wouldn't even notice. You know, apart from if it oh, was no, the I mean, walking around now, you've been that you've look at it, and I was like, oh, that's just normal now, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you might avert your gaze for a few seconds yeah, and then just I'd carry look at it, on. Like, what? I'm not even surprised. Like, yeah, just do your thing, mate. Yeah. But the colourful, the colourful characters are the ones that make the world, aren't they? Yeah. No. <laughs> It'd be a bit boring otherwise, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but they're there for entertainment. People walking on their own fours, <laughs> thinking they're an animal and that. <laughs> right. Are you ready for the second piece, which is about the actual ritual? Yes, I am. The ritual was first described in the book of Abramelin, a grimoire that was written by Abraham of Worms, a German-Jewish mystic who lived in the 15th century. He claimed that he learned the ritual from an Egyptian mage named Abramelin, who taught him a system of Kabbalistic magic that was based on the Hebrew alphabet and the Kabbalah. The ritual had two main phases, the preparation and the operation. The preparation phase lasted for six months and it involved the magician isolating himself from the world, abstaining from worldly pleasures and dedicating himself to the service of God. He also had to pray and meditate daily, using specific psalms and magical words at sunrise and sunset. He also had to prepare a special room called the Oratory, where he would perform the operation phase. The operation phase began on the first day of the new moon, and it lasted for two weeks. During this time, the magician had to lock himself in the oratory and only opened the window at night. He had to fast and pray 
and read the manuscript of the sacred magic and invoke the guardian angel using a special formula that Abramelin gave to Abraham. This should be done daily until the angel appeared to him in a vision or a dream. The appearance of the angel was the sign that the operation phase was successful and that the magician had achieved the knowledge and conversation of his holy guardian angel. The angel would reveal to him the secrets of the universe and instruct him on how to use his magical powers for good. The angel would also give him a new name and a seal that represented his true essence. After the angel had appeared, the magician had to proceed to the binding of the demons. He had to open the manuscript of the names of the demons and read them aloud, one by one. He also had to point his wand at the corresponding square on the floor and command the demon to obey him. This had to be done for each of the twelve kings and dukes of hell and their seventy-two subordinate spirits. Then an oath was to be sworn that he would never use the demons for evil purposes and that he would always follow the will of God and his angel. The binding of the demons was the sign that the operation phase was complete and that the magician had overcome the forces of darkness. He had now attained the state of spiritual perfection and could use his magical powers for the benefit of himself and others. He had also become a master of paradox, able to transcend the duality of good and evil and to harmonise the opposites within himself. So there isn't really much to say about that bit, apart from it's a ritual that I'd never perform because it's got demons in it. Yeah. Yeah. Should we move swiftly on to the the third and final bit? Why swiftly? Um, Not quickly. (laughs) (laughs) You're so picky. You pick it all by vocab. (laughs) I'm just taking a mick. I know you are. (laughs) All right. Should we move quickly on to the third and final bit? Yes, we should. The ritual required a special place, a secluded house with a room facing the east where the sun rises. Crowley found such a place in Scotland, on the edge of Loch Ness. He bought Bolskin House, a manor that had a dark history of its own, as it was said to be haunted by the spirits of a church and its congregation that burned down. Crowley moved into Bolskin House in 1899 and started the ritual, following the instructions of the French translation of the Book of Abramelin, which he had gotten from the British Museum. However, this translation was flawed and incomplete and left out some crucial parts of the ritual, such as the names of the demons and the magical swords. Crowley didn't know this and went on with the ritual, ignorant of the risks and consequences. He followed a strict code of conduct, renouncing worldly pleasures, avoiding contact with other people and devoting himself to the service of God. He also performed daily prayers and meditations 
chanting specific psalms and magical words at sunrise and sunset. He prepared his special room where he would do the final phase of the ritual. He equipped the room with a table, a chair, a lamp, a censer, a white robe and a wand. On the table, he put two manuscripts containing the sacred magic of Abramelin and the names of the demons. He also drew a large square on the floor, split into four smaller squares, each containing a magical word. These words were the names of the four great princes of hell, Lucifer, Leviathan, Satan and Belial. The final phase of the ritual began on the first day of the new moon and lasted for two weeks. During this time, Crowley locked himself in the oratory and opened the window only at night. He fasted and prayed and read the manuscript of the sacred magic. He also invoked the guardian angel. He repeated this invocation every day until the angel appeared to him in a vision or dream. But the angel never appeared. Instead, Crowley began to witness strange and horrifying phenomena. He heard noises and voices coming from the walls and the floor. He saw shadows and shapes moving in the dark. He felt the presence of something touching him and crawling on his skin. Crowley described seeing a terrible monster as a half-formed beast that had the head of a crocodile, the body of goat, and the tail of a serpent. He said that it attacked him in his bedroom and tried to strangle him with its tail. He managed to fend it off with a dagger that he had consecrated for the ritual. He wrote that the monster was the most most appalling thing thing that that ever I saw saw in my life. As the ritual was in progress, Crowley wrote in his diary about some of the strange effects it was having on the land. One day day I came came back back from from shooting shooting rabbits rabbits on the hill hill and found a Catholic Catholic priest in my study. study. He'd come come to tell me that my lodge lodge keeper, a total abstainer for 20 years, had been been raving drunk drunk for three days and had tried tried to kill his wife and children. I got got an older Cambridge acquaintance to take Roche's place but he too began to show symptoms of panic fear. Even a local man Crowley had hired for general labour went mad and tried to kill him, according to Crowley's story. He left the country because of a legal dispute, initiated by Samuel Liddell McGregor Mathers, the head of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Mathers accused Crowley of revealing some of the Order's secrets and rituals without his consent and demanded an injunction to stop him. Crowley went to Paris to fight the case, but he lost and had to pay the expenses. He was also expelled from the Golden Dawn and became an enemy of Mathers and his followers. He chose to leave Europe and travel to other parts of the world where he hoped to find new sources of magical knowledge and power. But some sources say that this act unleashed evil spirits into the house and the nearby area, resulting in a series of disasters and paranormal phenomena. For example, his mistress had a miscarriage 
and a local butcher who delivered meat to the house cut off his own hand. Some people also claim to see ghostly figures, strange lights and animal mutilations near the house. Crowley entrusted Bolskine House to his friends and acquaintances and eventually gave the ownership of the home to the fraternal organisation he led at the time, the Ordo Templi Orientis. However, the economic stress of the war forced the sale of the estate in 1918, much to Crowley's eternal regret. Over the next two decades, it was owned by several people, including Major Edward Grant, who killed himself in the occultist's former bedroom in 1965. As we've mentioned in a previous episode of the podcast, the house was later bought by Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin experienced a series of misfortunes. Page's friend, Malcolm Dent, who cared for Bolskine for some time, reported that he saw strange events from the day he moved in. Furniture moved by itself, doors opened and closed without reason, and carpets and rugs rolled up on their own. Dent often heard weird noises at night, but the most terrifying night of his life was when he heard the noises of a wild beast outside his bedroom door. In the 1970s, a woman who lived in the house claimed that she saw the ghost of a headless man walking in the garden. She also said that she felt a cold hand touch her shoulder and heard a voice whispering in her ear. In the 1980s, a man who visited the house said that he saw a black mass hovering over the bed in Crowley's former bedroom. He also said that he felt a sudden surge of fear and nausea and heard a loud bang that shook the house. In the 1990s, a couple who stayed in the house said they experienced poltergeist activity, such as objects moving and falling, doors slamming and lights flickering. They also said that they heard footsteps and laughter and felt a cold breeze in the house. In 2009, a paranormal investigator who explored the house said that he captured several EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, of voices and screams, and saw a shadowy figure. He also said that he felt a strong presence and a sense of dread in the house. Another of the most pivotal events in Crowley's life occurred in 1904. A few years following his attempt at the ritual, when he was in Cairo, Egypt, with his first wife, Rose Edith Kelly, whom he married on a whim after meeting her in London. He claimed that while he was in Cairo, he received a message from a supernatural entity named Iwas, who he identified as his holy guardian angel, the messenger of his true will. Iwas dictated to him a book called The Book of Law, which Crowley wrote down in three days, from April the 8th to the 10th. The Book of Law proclaimed the dawn of a new era, the the eon of Horus, the age of the child, the age of the individual, the age of the star. The book also declared that the law of the new eon was do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, meaning that everyone should follow their true will without any restriction or interference. The book also stated that Crowley was the prophet of the new eon, 
the chosen one, to spread the message of the book and the law to the world. Crowley initially rejected the book and its message as he found it too radical and contradictory to his own beliefs and values. He also feared that it would bring him trouble and persecution from the authorities and the public. He hid the book and tried to forget about it, but he could not escape its influence and power. He eventually accepted the book and its message and devoted his life to fulfilling his role as the prophet of the new Eon. He founded a new religion called Thelema, which was based on the book and the law. He also developed a system of magic, which he spelled with a K, to distinguish it from stage magic, which was based on his own experiences and experiments. He wrote dozens of books, poems, essays and articles on various topics, such as philosophy, politics, culture, art and science, which expressed his views and visions of the new eon. Crowley's acceptance of the book and its message also marked the beginning of his downfall. He became more notorious and controversial than ever, as he openly practised and preached his religion and magic, which involved sex, drugs, violence and blasphemy. He was accused of being a Satanist, a madman, a traitor and a criminal by the media, the government, the church and the public. He was expelled, banned or sued by many countries. He also lost most of his fortune as he spent his money recklessly, alienated his allies and exploited his disciples. He also suffered from various physical and mental illnesses such as addiction, depression, asthma and chronic pain, which worsened his condition and reputation. Crowley died on December 1st, 1947 in Hastings, England, at the age of 72. He was penniless, lonely and infamous, with few mourners at his funeral. He left behind a legacy that was complex and controversial, that inspired and influenced many people, but also repelled and offended many others. He was a genius and a lunatic, a saint and a sinner, a hero and a villain, prophet and a beast, and he was known as the wickedest man in the world. It sounds like he opened a portal. Yeah, like you do with the mirrors and that. Yeah. When they're facing each other or something. Wow, yeah, it's just like... Or if it's in front of your bed, isn't it? I think it's if they're facing each other, like we've got just right here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, because it was incomplete, I reckon some dodgy stuff going on down there. Yeah. Round the old Loch Ness. Loch Ness Monster. And that too, that I did was reading other stuff and they said that they thought he'd created the Loch Ness the the Loch Ness monster. So I looked into it and it was like, no, because that was reported like years and years before he did the ritual there. Yeah. But interesting. Maybe he summoned him. Yeah. Because maybe somebody summoned him back then. Right. And like some and he's just gone into hibernation or whatever. And he called and they him back. him in again. Mm. Like people do with devil and that, don't they? Yeah. They summon him. Yeah. Or his worshippers or whatever. Could be one of those thin places. Do you know what I mean by that? Grey area. A thin place. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> you know, like where um, the boundary between the living and the dead is thin. 
so it's easier to cross over. Nope. Well, that's what a thin place is. All right. All right. <laughs> so um, we're going to be on the kind of same theme as this uh, for the extra this week, but I'm going to delve into some of the um, World War Two occultism stuff because that's just as creepy. And then the following week, I'm going to come completely away from demons because I think I think it's saying something about my state of mind at the moment that the last like few weeks have all been about demons. So it's time to come away from it and look at some folklore, yeah. I think. All right? Indeed. <laughs> well, that's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed and we'll catch up with you again soon. We will indeed. We will catch up with you again on Thursday. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.